0: Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast, core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. This week is part two of gallbladder diseases, and here we're going to drop into acute cholangitis. Cholangitis is acute bacterial infection of the bile ducts resulting from common bile duct obstruction. You may also hear it called ascending cholangitis. Much like in cholecystitis, this all starts with a common bile duct developing an obstruction. That obstruction may be incomplete, which is more common, or it can be a complete obstruction. There are many causes here, but the most common are going to be gallstones again, but malignancy, benign strictures, or even iatrogenic from something like an ERCP can be the cause. The elevated intraluminal pressure in the gallbladder leads to translocation of bacteria. That bacteria may gain access either via the lymphatics, the portal venous blood, or retrograde from the duodenum. The most common pathogens that we're going to see are E. coli, Klebsiella, Streptococcus, Enterobacter, and Pseudomonas. Rarely, at least in the U.S., you can see this caused by HIV AIDS as well as parasitic infections like Ascaris. The classic triad for the presentation is Charcot's triad of fever, right upper quadrant pain, and jaundice. But this is neither sensitive nor specific, as all classic triads are. So the symptoms we should be looking for are fever and chills, nausea and vomiting, and abdominal pain. On physical exam, the patients are going to have right upper quadrant tenderness to palpation, and they may or may not have peritoneal signs. Jaundice, the third piece of Charcot's triad, again can be variable. You shouldn't expect it, but if you see it, you're going to be a little bit more concerned about this diagnosis. Patients will often present with frank sepsis, so the fever, tachycardia, hypotension, and tachypnea. It's a very common presentation for cholangitis. While rare, it's also important to recognize Reynolds-Pentad, which is Charcot's triad, the fever, right upper quadrant pain, and jaundice, with the addition of sepsis and altered mental status. So again, they can have a variable presentation, much like what we see in cholecystitis, but these patients tend to be a little sicker than the group that comes in with cholecystitis. Once again, like with cholecystitis, and you're probably sensing a theme here, diagnostics are less than perfect. Cholangitis is a clinical diagnosis. There are no diagnostic tests that absolutely clinches or rules out the disease. But there are some laboratory tests that we're going to be looking for that can maybe help us. Again, nothing that's perfectly sensitive or specific, but we're going to look for these anyway. An elevated white blood count is common, but if they're severely infected, they may actually have a depressed white count. A hepatic panel will show elevated aminotransferases, so the ALT and AST will be elevated. You'll see an elevated FOS, and you may or may not see hyperbilirubinemia. Getting a serum lipase can also be helpful because some patients will get concomitant pancreatitis. A blood gas may be useful in patients who are septic to record a lactate level for prognosis, and blood cultures may or may not be helpful here. Overall, blood culture yield is pretty low, but if you do culture something, you may be able to tailor your antibiotics down the road. Let's move on to imaging, and once again, ultrasound and CT scan are going to be our main modalities. Imaging can be helpful in supporting the diagnosis, and it can aid in identifying the cause. Many patients will have concomitant acute cholecystitis, and that may have been what led to the cholangitis. The imaging is going to help us in finding that. With ultrasound, the common findings are going to be intrahepatic biliary duct dilatation, thickening of the bile duct in the walls, as well as obstructing gallstones. You can see concomitant cholecystitis, and as a reminder, the main sonographic findings for that are going to be gallstones gallbladder wall thickening greater than or equal to 3 millimeters, pericholecystic fluid, and a sonographic Murphy sign. Gallstones plus a sonographic Murphy sign is the classic dyad that you see with the ultrasound findings of cholecystitis. While ultrasound can be helpful, it is not highly sensitive for diagnosing choledocholithiasis. It can often miss stones in the distal common bile duct. It can, though, be useful in distinguishing between intrahepatic and extrahepatic obstruction. Well, if ultrasound's not quite going to cut it, let's move on to CT. The classic findings here are a non-homogenous liver enhancement during the arterial phase. You can also identify dilated intra- and extrahepatic ducts. Gallstones, although poorly visualized, may be present on CT scan. But overall, the findings here are non-specific. The nice thing about CT scan is that it can identify other pathologies as the cause for abdominal pain, as well as complications from cholangitis, so things like perforation or abscesses. If ultrasound and CT are both not cutting it, what else is at our disposal? Well, we can use nuclear scintigraphy, and that's more sensitive than ultrasound in identifying early obstruction, but may not always be available. Endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography, or ERCP, is going to be the diagnostic modality of choice if you can get it done. An ERCP can be both diagnostic as well as therapeutic, as the person who's operating the endoscope can remove an obstructing stone, they can biopsy a mass, they can culture the bile, or even decompress or place a stent. In terms of management, we again have to recognize that these patients can be very sick. We can see unstable patients due to sepsis or even septic shock, and those patients have to be resuscitated aggressively. We're going to start with our ABCs, make sure we have good access with two large-bore IVs, and put the patient on a cardiac monitor. We should be starting broad-spectrum antibiotics early, covering gram positives, gram negatives, and anaerobes. Some common regimens include piperacillin-tazobactam, imipenem or miropenem, or ampicillin sulbactam plus metronidazole. If the patient's had significant vomiting or volume loss, make sure to correct electrolytes and make sure they don't have any coagulopathies that are going to need to be managed as well. Ultimately, the patients are going to need biliary tract decompression. This can be done with a percutaneous drainage via interventional radiology, an ERCP, or possibly surgical drainage. Clearly, all patients with cholangitis are going to be admitted, and they should probably go to a high-resource setting, so either the ICU or some kind of a step-down unit. Before we wrap up for the week, let's hit some take-home points. Cholangitis is an acute bacterial infection of the bile ducts resulting from common bile duct obstruction, and it's potentially life threatening with a mortality of 5 to 10 percent. Diagnosis is based on clinical findings, and while imaging can be supportive, it is frequently non diagnostic. Look for right upper quadrant tenderness with peritoneal signs and fever. A normal ultrasound does not rule out the diagnosis of acute cholangitis. And finally, treatment focuses on supportive care, broad-spectrum antibiotics, and consultation with a provider that can perform biliary tract decompression, either IR, gastroenterology, or general surgery. That's going to be the end of our two-parter, and both of these topics, cholecystitis as well as cholangitis, have longer blog posts with more detailed information on the site, so go on over and check that out. That's all for the Core EM Podcast this week. We'll have a CORE post up on Wednesday and a journal update up this Thursday. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, follow us on Google Plus, and on Twitter where our handle is at CORE underscore EM. Thanks, and see you all next week.